A guy from JoJo season who I hated, James Taylor, is talking about politics on the gram, which is a choice. And he said that he's going to run for president because he turns 35 this year and he has a stronger backbone than both Republicans and Democrats. And I was like, cool, you've been mm. on one reality show. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not even the most of any of our presidents. I know. Like, sorry. You didn't even create it. You didn't create it, no. I, so. I'm not a fan of his, but yeah, I was, I read his tweet. It was like on his Instagram. He like screenshotted it and I was like, oh, he's serious. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. I think he was at the uh, riot at the Capitol last week. Very chill. Very chill and Bachelor Nation. Speaking of very chill, should we get into this week's episode? It was a very chill show that, uh, yes. never, but. Very right. chill. Um, yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right, ready? Talking about their favorite themes on silver screen. They'll try to stay on theme. Who said that this podcast was Hi. I'm Sophie. And I'm Maddie. And welcome to Single Best Scene. This week's episode, Russian Doll. I had that song stuck in my head because I watched all of the first season in a day. And when I went to bed, I like couldn't get it out of my head. I was so annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Damn. But okay, so so I know you pitched this show. So if you if you haven't sorry, um to our listeners, if you haven't watched it yet and you're curious as to what it's about but you don't want spoilers go listen to sophie's pitch she did in season one um because it is a show that i think is is better viewed not knowing anything about the universe but sophie how did you find the show so i found it on netflix my friend nicolene had talked about it and we actually were doing a bit of a TV club at the time in New York where we'd watch a show and then talk about it over drinks. And this was maybe the first one that we didn't shoot because she had seen it and was like, oh my God, I need to talk to somebody about this show. And it was winter in New York, which means I will watch anything because it's better than being outside. Right. <laughs> and it was such an easy watch. I'm sure I watched it in one day because it's only eight episodes and they're only 30 minutes each. But yeah, I thought it was really fun. And uh, what convinced you to watch it? Was it my pitch? It kind of was was your pitch. So like, I'd obviously seen it on Netflix and I'm a loyal Emmy watcher. So like, I knew that the Mm -hmm. show existed and I knew that it was popular. And then you did the pitch about it. And then when we were planning out our season two schedule for what we wanted to talk about, this one kind of seemed like a no brainer. It seemed like Mm -hmm. something that you liked enough to pitch and I was interested enough to watch, and I'm so glad I did, because one, the show is so smart, the continuity of how they tell the story from the, like, loops and, like, how they had to be so precise on, like, okay, this person walks by in this, in loop one, and this one in loop seven, and it was just, like, mm-hmm. a master class in storytelling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm sure, like, even everybody listening, I'm sure you guys will have caught things that we did not catch about the show. There, yes. I feel like you could watch it, like, ten times and, like, still find little symbolic things and uh, stuff like that. I, I mean, it's such a deeply layered show that it's so rewatchable because of it. And obviously, I mean, like I said, so smart. Well, I rewatched the first episode right before we recorded just because I was cooking dinner. And mm-hmm. I, like, didn't notice that, like, Alan was in the first, like, obviously I knew it later on, but I didn't know if they, like, right. put that yeah. in. And to, like, know that his story had always planned to merge and it wasn't, like, I don't know, it was just, and that was just one thing that I was, like, huh. Yeah, like, there were so many little Easter eggs, and we'll get into some of them, but, yeah, we will miss a good amount of them. Yeah. And to kind of jump ahead, because I think we disagree, not to disagree at the top of the show, but the season two I was thinking when I was watching it, like, I'm glad that season two is taking a long time to come out because if they would have just flipped it and done a season two that felt cheap, I would have been annoyed Mm -hmm. because the show is so well done that, like, I want them to take their time with, if they feel like they have a season two to tell, I kind of feel the same way I did with Leabag, where it's like, you obviously feel like you have a way to continue the story in a way that's smart and not just to, like, make money. Where some shows, when they flip it and it's like, 
season two will be out in a month. I'm like, didn't didn't you just finish season one? And like, I don't know. I just feel like regardless of if it should be happening, I think that the production value will be good. The story will still be good, even if you don't want it. Yeah, yeah. So just to refresh, if our listeners, (laughs) the show did come out in February, January, February 2019. And in July 2019, it was announced that it had been renewed for a second season, but had not started shooting it. And then the pandemic happened. So sort of put a halt on the show as well. So we there's really no hardly any news about the season two, although it has not at this time of recording been canceled as far as we can tell so right well they did that with glow where they gave it a season renewal and then COVID happened Mm -hmm. and they took it away but they primarily did that just because of the like close physical contact of like wrestling Mm -hmm. they were like we can't keep y'all safe but yeah I mean I feel like every renewal that has been made on a streaming platform could easily become a cancellation with COVID and money and Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff so if this yeah. show did end the way it is, I still think it would be perfect television. And um, what a great time to record in New York. There's nothing happening. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so. so what did you think of the pilot? What do you give it out of 10? Give it a 10 out of 10. I did enjoy it a lot. We got a l- our first little loop. Actually, maybe there was I got two. two. There was two loops in the first one, right? So that was great. We got introduced to everybody and they did a lot of, I know you hate it, but they did a lot of the, oh, hi, I'm a dentist. I'm related to her because I was her ex-girlfriend and, oh yeah, what about your kid? Oh, now we know a kid that she has a kid. Like every character had super contextual introductions. It's the Aaron Um, Sorkin resume reading. Yeah, it's Aaron Sorkin resume reading, but whatever it gives context to everything it benefited it benefited this show in a way that I think other shows use it as like a lazy plot device because we were thrown into like the middle of her party it wasn't like and episodes are only 30 minutes so so, we didn't have time to like slowly figure out that her ex had a daughter yeah I read a review that felt that said that that was like their one critique was that it felt like it was like the middle of the episode and we were the show felt like it started at the middle of the episode, but I think that's what makes the show so jarring. And I think Mm -hmm. why it's so, I think it's so, why it was so well received is because it doesn't really follow a stereotypical format of a show. Cause then the second episode starts in the middle of the day that we didn't know she could live that long. Like we didn't know her loop could go that long. Yeah, it was confusing. Cause it broke the ground all day. And it would be less engaging if it had been in the reverse, Mm -hmm. you know? And we got that like normal day she lived. No, no, no. We need to see her die multiple times in the first episode in order to be like, okay, yeah, like there's something this going on here. So, and um, we did get the kind of, I think what the author of that article, I don't even remember, was talking about with Alan's loop starting at the beginning of his stay. So we got to see what it would have looked like if the show had started right. at the beginning. But like, I do think it was more it felt like we were at the party a little bit. And like, I think it kind of jump starts you right mm-hmm. off into the show, yes. which you mentioned about in your pitch as a show about addiction and, and all of those things. And so mm-hmm. I think feeling a little uncomfortable and jarring is what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And yeah, some of this will be repeat. If one of you guys did listen to the pitch, but yeah, the show's about uh, the creators, Amy Poehler and Natasha Leone. Were, and, um, and Leslie Heedy. Yes, yes, there's three, you're right. They, uh, their sort of messaging, I guess, in general on the show is like, if you want to take symbolism and meaning of this, like, you can. If you don't, like, you don't need to, whatever. But, you know, we did sort of design it to be sort of a huge metaphor for addiction because all of these creators had either personal struggles with addiction or somebody that was very close to them did. Sort of just, I mean, the in general broad strokes, the sort of living the same day over and over again in the trap of addiction of just feeling sort of, wait, have I been here before? I think I've been here before, but like, I'm going to try and do something different, but like, I'm still, the end result, it still ends up being the same. And that's sort of that like internal fight that you get sucked into when you do have that disease. Some of it was very like hit you over the head, like waking up in the bathroom, like she wakes up in the bathroom every right, time. Right. Um, with so many party drug addictions, you know, there you are in the bathroom again. Even just sort of the 
self-destructive nature of the whole thing was definitely leaning into that addiction and Alan's suicide direction that his Mm -hmm. loop was in that wasn't so much um, Natasha's character but Nadia that was she wasn't being intentionally self-destructive but of course neither are so it just was really smart for them to open up two sides of if they were going to run with this addiction metaphor for the whole thing it was smart I think of them to show two different you know lights on that right well and even down to like the greatest theme of the show arguably which is you can't do anything alone mm-hmm. that it's neat like you need you need people around you to get clean and stay clean and you need the support of other people. And it took mm-hmm. Natasha and Alan to finding each other to realize that. So when you had said in the pitch that this show had affected these three women, that the way addiction had affected their lives had led them in the direction to do a project like this. I mm-hmm. thought that Natasha's character, Nadia, or even her friends in her life were going to have a closer, like I thought there were going to be more drugs on the show. I thought, mm-hmm that she was going to be addicted to something and like that was going to play a part into it. So I was really surprised that they kind of squashed the, this is a bad trip in episode two. Yeah. So like it, yeah. it definitely a really smart way to, well, I think a lot of the metaphors and stuff, like you're saying, were totally hit over the head. Like, like they're very obvious yeah. once you know, but I think yeah. if you were to watch it not knowing, you might not pick right. up on yeah. those, those cues. The fact that nobody can make it out of this life by yourself, I think, is like a universal. Mm-hmm. Right. That does not have to do with addiction specifically. Right. Yeah. I agree. So I also, I gave the pilot a nine out of 10. Sorry. I mean, as you could probably tell from like my diatribe, I just went on, but I found the premise really interesting and not something that is executed in television. And if so, it's usually a one episode dream sequence or, um, in movies, it's a kind of a tired trope, but I think in TV, there's such a, it's such an interesting way to tell a story because it's like they're wearing the same costumes the whole time. Like, it's just, I think, things that you don't think about. Um, and then I forgot that I like Natasha, uh, Natasha's acting. Like, I think she's a really great actress. And when I was watching the pilot, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I should watch more stuff that she's in because her... Um, her presence on screen is like so uniquely her and there's like very few actresses that do that without mm-hmm. it feeling like like a Blake Lively I'm literally only playing Blake Lively Lively <laughs> like she was playing a version of herself that felt relatable but also definitely a character yeah so um let's pop into and also she's very funny like the way she says cockroach in the first episode yes I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop laughing, but why don't you go into some of your, your bits and Yeah. Jokes? Yeah. She's hilarious. This whole show was very funny. Um, it was, it was hard to narrow it down. I thought, although, um, one of my favorite parts in the pilot was when she says, <laughs> I or I keep di- or I think I'm dying, and then I think the tall blonde girlfriend. is Greta. Yeah, yeah. Gre- uh, no, no, Lizzie. Lizzie's Lizzie. girlfriend goes, "We're all dying, or we're all dead." <laughs> and Lizzie was like, a, like watches a like you know some. I obviously I didn't even understand her reference, but like you know references some like you know I'm sure like very highbrow indie whatever director like watches a blah blah film once yeah. it was perfect yeah that was, that was amazing and I had also watched the finale in prep and Nadia telling Mike when when Alan finally calls her or has Thrawn call her and she answers and you know blah 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 she's convinced you now and she's like okay I'm gonna go get a pack of cigarettes and Mike says oh do you want me to come and she goes no I don't need you to come and no you don't get any brownie points for offering I was like yes (laughs) what a throwaway line but like I am going to use that in the future just read him to shreds like that was so perfect just didn't skip a beat was like "Mm, 
no. <laughs> right. And also, of course, classic. It's my bad attitude that keeps me young. Love that. Caption for someone turning 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lyrics for like depressed millennials. Right. Yeah, no, seriously. And then let me see. <laughs> um, oh my God. When she says, I did not kill somebody. If I killed somebody, I'd do something cool, like move to Nice or start a band. <laughs> Uh, she's so cool. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Now do you guys like do you guys like blowjobs or is that just a rumor, which she also says in the finale? Yeah. Oh my god, lol. And then okay, Alan. Okay, I love Alan. Alan was also funny, very different than Nadia. Mm-hmm. But um Alan's deadpan was always what kind of got me <laughs> but also I mean it was also a very shocking moment but him saying it doesn't matter I die all the time is hilarious because even if it's not literal which of course he's being literal but it's even funnier <laughs> like honestly if he wasn't he was but and then um I think that's sort of I mean it was just the whole thing was so funny yeah, I oh, have- okay, Maxine, this is my last one, that's right. Okay, Maxine has two. She says, I don't know what's going on here, but either you guys suck each other's dicks or get the fuck out of my apartment. Also, Maxine being a queen. And lastly, Maxine says to Nadia, oh, no, no. I love that you're a cunt. It makes me feel morally superior. <laughs> when she said that, I, like, gasped. Because, <laughs> like, like, we were yes. still getting to know... <clears throat> we were still getting to know them. Like that was in episode five, I think. I guess we mm-hmm. were still getting to know them, but like each jump, we got to know a different part of Lizzie and Maxine, mm-hmm. which was such an interesting thing. Okay. So every time um, Max, Max or Maxine said, uh, sweet birthday, baby, I laughed. <laughs> like starting off the first loop as happy birthday, baby. And then it just uh-huh. changed to sweet birthday, baby. And every time she said it kind of different, and I was mm-hmm. like, that's a pretty good gag, because it's, like, three words. Like, they're not wasting right. Um, You said the bad attitude keeps me young. When John asks Nadia to go to lunch or breakfast, and the daughter flips her off, and Nadia goes, I love her. She's perfect. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. And when Nadia says life is like a box of timelines, it's such a well-known joke that, like, flipping it and making it about this show – was such a smart and clever device. Cooking brings me great joy, but it also alters my personality was a Maxine joke that I deeply related to. <laughs> like some people are chill cooks, but most people aren't. Like most people are not good. Like they're good cooks, but they're not like good people while they're cooking. Sure. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. The bit of Nadia not being able to get down the stairs and like yelling at an inanimate object really got me. And then like the fire escape part oh, of the bit. And then... Which, like, yeah. like, the stairs eventually turned into a B-plot, but the bit of her just not being able to go down the stairs. Um, when Nadia asked everyone at her birthday party if she was a good person, I thought, what a choice. Whatever that, no, that was me. iconic. Are you <laughs> kidding? I was like, yes. I, was I like, could, unfortunately, see my, like, drunk self doing that in, like, five <laughs> years. Like, <laughs> just fucking interrogating everybody, having a mental breakdown about turning, you know, 34 or whatever. Yeah, and then, uh, okay, so one of my favorite B-plots, but this is a joke from it, is when Nadia goes with Alan. They're trying to figure out how Alan died his first loop. And so she goes with him to Beatrice's house. And at this point, Mm -hmm. the audience, we've seen Beatrice be kind of, like, dismissive or whatever. But, like, Nadia, like, kind of ripping into her was very funny. And the quote where Mm -hmm. she was like, where'd you get all this art from? Is it from Urban Outfitters or just a couple pieces? Was such a... And Alan's face, you know, he's usually so sad at Beatrice's house, was like, oh shit, (laughs) I can fuck with her type of thing. Right, yeah, yeah. And then I don't really know if we don't have like the moment where you just said, like, oh my God, out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we did, it would definitely be when in that same episode, they're trying to get Alan drunk at the bar, and she finally tells him that she slept with Mike, and he said, I can fuck you better than Mike. And I screamed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, one is Alan Hot. Two, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and then I have one other one that's like not a joke, but I feel like we just need to talk 
or address this line of dialogue. Um, okay. It was said twice in the show. And the first time it was kind of said a little bit flippantly. And the second time it was said like directly as an insult. And I thought it was such an interesting choice of words between two characters. So it's Mike says it the first time to Alan and the second time Alan says it to Mike. Mike says, she didn't choose me, Alan. The only choice she made was not you. Nobody chooses me. I'm the hole where a choice should be. Which Mike said it kind of like a dick. But when you actually mm-hmm. read it, that's so sad. And that's like so yeah. sad that Mike knows that. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that when Alan says it in episode eight to try to get Nadia version before loop one Nadia to go with after loop mm-hmm. two Alan that that's the thing that kind of stops Mike in its tracks, which is like, that means that that was like a true thing that he said to Alan. Cause the way mm. Mike says it, it's more kind of like a fuck you. Like right. you're a piece of, cause when I heard it, that's how I took it. Like you're a piece of shit. She didn't even have to choose me. She just doesn't want you. But when well, I think it's one of those things that you tell yourself about yourself. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, you know, anytime somebody is like, yeah, well, I'm just kind of a bitch. It's like, if I say it first, then they can't hurt me by saying it to me. I feel like that's sort of perfect. Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, like, like I, you know, I'm just this cool guy who like, you know, whatever, like I'm just the filler for all these women, like whatever, whatever. But then to have it reflected back is totally different, especially because they are in this loop. And so Alan knows this about him, but he doesn't know, which of course makes it even more shocking for him to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know. And I think that's what you get when you get eight 22 minute episodes. It's just like really so short. good material. But whenever that line was then used again in episode eight, I was like, oh fuck, like I'm so excited we're recording about this. And I'm so excited that I've seen it now to tell other people. I'm like I think people who haven't seen the show are just like sleeping on and I was up until like five days ago but (laughs) I'm not like better than the people that I'm talking to it's just like lines like that that they can be used two different ways and like three different episodes three episodes apart it just sets the show leaps and bounds ahead of everybody right totally I agree so through the like kind of funny darkness of Mm -hmm. the first season there's also some really fucking sad shit that's going on. Yeah. What, no, was, your, yeah. <laughs> what was your heartbreak scene or scenes or, or moment? Um, I mean, you could name one in every episode. Um, very mm-hmm. similarly to another 30 minute show. Was normal people 30 minutes? Yes. Oh my God. These shows could not be more different, but <laughs> they were actually in a different kind of loop. <laughs> If I was a college student, I could definitely do a term paper on the similarities cool. between normal people and fucking Russian doll. Apparently, one of the songs on Taylor Swift's new album is about, she was, like, binging normal people when she wrote it. Like, Champagne Problems, or, or Tis the Damn Season is about normal people or something. I'll go back to the mm. very uh, legit and confirmed YouTube video that I watched oh, okay. two girls in Australia talk about. Because I've also been, like, knee-deep in the Taylor Swift and Harry Styles vehicular manslaughter theory that they wrote on the internet. So I'll fill you in on that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, back to the show. (laughs) Back to the show. Okay, so there obviously are a lot. Just this whole concept of the show of her being sort of a given no-fucks girl usually means that actually there's, like, a lot of trauma there. The saddest moment, I think, was for me when you realized that her mom died at 36. And so she's now, or 35, right? So she's now, like, outlived her mom. So there's, like, all this complicated stuff about that. It's sort of, I mean, it's why her waking up at her birthday party is also specifically relevant to her. Because this was, like, a huge day for her, like, emotionally. Um, Her whole life, since her mom died. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that was just so sad. I mean, 36 is so young to leave a child and also then to be the child. And then of course, you know, cause she has no parent, like where do they even mention her dad? They don't. I I mean, they might mention that he's not in the picture, but no, cause Ruth is her guardian. Right. Cause Ruth is her guardian. So but the whole thing was just like, and you're like, oh shit. And also that she blames herself 
I can't remember if we find that out at the same time. I don't yeah. think we do. I think we find out that she, we found in the pilot that her mom died at 36, I think. Yeah, at the, Ruth comes in the, in the second loop and is like, you made it right. to 36, it's you're now older time. than your mom. She would be so proud. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Nadia was like, or she wouldn't be because she was really fucking competitive and kind of made light of it. Right. And of then course, her, she has the kind of emotional reckoning with her mom's death in episode seven where they realize mm -hmm. that, like, they're killing everyone around them. <laughs> like, right. the world is falling apart. Yes. Um, yeah, episode seven was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, but um, what about you? That was one of my heartbreak scenes was when she apologizes to Ruth for killing her mom. And Ruth is like, you were a child. Like you, you chose stability. You chose to live with your mom. You did what she said. She couldn't take right. care of you. Right. Like, and that's yeah. not on a child. So like that moment, but my like number one heartbreak scene was when you realize like so episode eight feels so hopeful. Like they both wake up, they're both back. Like the fish is there, the people are at the party. And then they realize that they're not. Like, yeah. they realize that they have... They're not each other. They're on different... They're on different universes or dimensions or mm -hmm. loops, I oh, guess. Oh, no. But there was a, a specific interaction. So, Nadia... They both realize that their goal is to save the other person. Mm -hmm. so that's, like, where they messed up in the first... Like, their moral fault was not saving the other one. So, when Alan... Nadia's was a little bit more heartbreaking just because she had made so much progress as a person from episode one to eight for her to be trying to save Alan felt sadder because you know how hard she'd work to not be like she wanted to be alone and she'd let all these people in. Um, mm -hmm. But they have an interaction. So she thinks he's killed himself and they're up on the roof. And then he walks behind her and he said, mm -hmm. and she's like, don't jump. It'll be fine. Like we can go back downstairs. We can get cake, whatever. And he says, you promise me I'll be happy. And she says, no, but I can promise you, you will never be alone. And I was like, mm -hmm. fuck. Like, the show, like, mm -hmm. they do love each other. I don't think it's a romantic love. Yeah. But mm -hmm. there is this sort of bond that both of them needed. And then, obviously, my second – I had three. Second heartbreak scene was the apologizing. Um, and then the third one was realizing that Alan killed himself. And not even the, like, audience reactions of realizing that, but, like, Alan's reaction – to real, like when we found out Alan felt like, like Alan telling Nadia and how right. guilty he felt and, and all that stuff, I was like, oh, it's so sad. <laughs> like, yeah. So at what point did you think, like, this is my turning point scene I'm in, I'm going to watch it? I mean, when I tell other people to watch the show, I say watch it to episode four because that's when we meet Alan. And um, it makes sense because you said that in the pitch. And when I was watching it, I was like, that's so weird. Like, why episode four? And then episode three ends with him being like, it's okay, I die all the time. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, I was like, yes. Zach. and I was like, I'm in. I'm watching all of it tonight. I think we were yes. FaceTiming yes. about something different. And I was like, I kind of got to get back to this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, like, we've been talking for a while, but, like, I got to know if they get out of this <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I, I totally agree. So, I mean, I was like, obviously, like, passively watching the show um on a cold winter's night anyway but yeah as soon as they're in that elevator and he's like I die all the time I was like sat up in bed I was like oh, there's more <laughs> so yeah that just like made the world bigger and um the Russian doll world bigger and was so smart and then they ran together and you're like rooting for them and you're like okay now we're like off we go <laughs> I completely agree the show just felt uh, I think up to episode, so that happened at the very end of episode three. But, like, I liked it. From, my turning point scene was probably the first time she died and woke up and was, like, chill about it. Because I had actually just read a book about, that had this exact same, I mean, not the exact same, but the same Groundhog Day-esque vibe called, um, I have no idea what it's called, but if anybody cares, I'll post it on the Instagram. Um, but it was a book of the month pick, and it was, like, a romantic comedy but she like kept dying and waking up but like she freaked out about it every time and had to like explain the premise to a new person and I was like I've fucking been here like stop explaining it to me <laughs> like, stop wasting pages like I believe you like I'm following I'm with you so I was really glad that Nadia didn't do that like she was like yeah. I've done this she was rightfully confused but not enough to like stop right. her world 
Like, we didn't get a bunch of flashbacks. Right, which, like, I think is why, obviously, aside from the many, many reasons, but I'm glad that Alan was introduced kind of as a surprise character, well, like, on his 10th loop. So, like, he Mm -hmm. had already had his routine down because he was so tightly wound with control that I actually think his first few loops would have been miserable to watch as a viewer. Horrible. But with her, she just thought it was a bad drug trip. And that was kind of annoying, but that was, like, squashed in one episode. So, I think mm-hmm. the first time she died, I was like, what the fuck is the show? And, like, they were so, like, graphic or funny or tragic or random. Like, mm-hmm. she was holding her cat, and then she just, like, fell into the river. I was like, what? Yes. Very uh, abrupt. Also, just, like, a random side note that made me want to keep watching. The New York real estate was so cool. Maxine's apartment was amazing. The apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I was, like. In the old yeshiva school. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Um, yeah, but that was, I, uh, but I agree, like, uh, like, the first two episodes, the first three episodes were, like, good, and then it's, like, the end of three, beginning of four, you're, like, fuck, I gotta know now. Like, you're, like, I was oh, I'm in it. And now I'm gonna stay awake all night. Type right, right, now I cannot take a break until yeah. <laughs> so I'm done. You're, like, after this episode, I'll run out and grab food. Now you're, like, well, I guess I'm ordering food in because I can't leave. Right, it's coming to me. I am not leaving this couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's go Absolutely. into some of, of the B-plots for the show, which I feel like because of the, the span of it, there wasn't a ton, but why don't you take right. it away? Yeah, um, I mean, I did, like... The perpetual search for oatmeal was cute. Mm-hmm. I also sort of liked, I mean, kind of like we mentioned earlier, we kept learning more things about Lizzie and Maxine and a little more of their background. And that was always fun uh, to me. Yeah, that's, I mean, I didn't dislike any of them particularly. The man in the park was a bit unhinged, but well, he was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, what do you think? So I had a few more, but not a whole lot more. So I really liked the John having to pretend to be her husband at the yeshiva, like at the, when they mm-hmm. go to the, the Jewish headquarters or whatever, and the woman being like against women. I just thought that was very funny. And like Nadia interacting with someone who's so different than her. I actually just like overall really liked John. I thought he was like a perfect B plot character. Like he was yep. in the show the right amount of time. To not be annoying, but also still move it forward. Um, I also really enjoyed his relationship with Nadia and how, on, and how on each loop they interacted differently. Um, and it led to a lot of great jokes where he's like, it hasn't been a, it's like been a while since I've seen you. And she's like, bet you feel that way. But like, yeah, they've had a lot of interaction. <laughs> um, the introduction of Alan and Alan's routine being broken up by Nadia and him realizing that he, like, could have kept living in that perpetual state of the same shit every day, but, like, he could also just, like, not go to Beatrice's apartment and get broken up with. You know, the learning of that and their friendship overall yeah. after Nadia's friendship was so great for the show. <laughs> Nadia shouting at Beatrice when she went in and was, like, eating her crackers is, like, a street mm. person who needed to use the bathroom and then just, like, jumped in. I, like, loved that scene I loved watching Alan's face. I obviously loved the Urban Outfitters diss of it all. <laughs> Saying as someone who has owned a lot of art from Urban Outfitters. I'm not, not <laughs> stones and glass houses. I just think it's like a niche totally. funny joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, very specific. The realization that the loop doesn't stop for everybody and that people are mourning for her and Alan in different timelines with the dried fruit analogy I thought was yeah. like, very important for us to know yeah. and for them to learn. Um, yeah, the dying fruit thing was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the was wasn't rotten. Yeah, I'm sure there's some, like, thing about that. Um, I mean, it was a time-telling, like, a timetable thing for us, I think, and for them, obviously, but um, I'm sure there's, like, way more to it. But, yeah, that was helpful. And, and once we realized that, too, that was, like, another little – turning point I guess of sorts is like there are consequences like you guys aren't just like in this magical resetting world every time and there being less people at the party and the fish Mm -hmm. dying and stuff so yeah Yeah, the way that they told the their actions have consequences without it being Mm -hmm. like you like literally people they knew disappearing was so was 
it still stressed the importance almost more. Because had one of the, the main friends, air quotes, disappeared, it would have felt like too hopeless to try. So giving mm-hmm. them like a goal, like we have to fucking fix this because my fish is gone. <laughs> the fruit's dying. No one's at the party. Max right. standing alone. Ruth keeps dying. Like, yeah, um, that was. And then um, I literally wrote literally every part of the finale was brilliant. Like that was a great mm-hmm. episode of television. And then my last one was I really enjoyed Nadia's, all of her friendships. Like every, except for I, the only B plot I didn't like I didn't love her childhood mom watermelon storyline. I didn't really think it was super important. And I didn't like Mike as a character, but we weren't supposed to. So, like, it's not a bad B-plot. I just found him to be, like, not only a bad character, but also just an annoying actor. Yeah. Like, I just wasn't a fan. But everybody else on the show, I really enjoyed. And I really liked how they interacted with Nadia. And you could tell that people who wrote the show have female friends. Like, every character's friendship was a different, like, a different level. And, like, Alan kind of making, patching some holes in Nadia's being, like, she would think you'd be a great mom to those dogs and all this stuff. But the friendship that I sat around analyzing in my head the most was the one between her and Maxine. Because they were so quick to blow up at each other. Mm -hmm. when, But they were also the closest friends. So I just thought it was a really interesting thing where it was like sometimes Maxine was like on the brim and was like fuck you then like we're done like we're not gonna be friends anymore and then other times it was like you know sweet birthday baby love you so much so I was thinking like trying to figure out in my head like why they flipped between loops in their friendship Mm -hmm. and I was wondering if it was like just the cycle of addiction that like Maxine was so tired of not knowing which version of Nadia she was gonna get I don't know. Maybe I'm reading more into it than... Um, but yes, no, I think that is, like, part of the, again, messaging... Right. ...from the show, um, or from the creators, about the people in your life, no matter how much they love you, they do have a fuse. They do have a... Their rope does have an end. Um, right. Tired of your bullshit, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So... Oh. And then, yeah, my worst, like I said, I didn't really have any, but Mike, Nick, and I didn't really love the flashbacks. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Hello, hello. Surprise. It's us again. This is just a quick reminder for you guys to make sure you are subscribed to the pod on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. Um, with our audience and it really helps you make sure you don't miss an episode as these do drop on Tuesdays weekly. Second thing is actual exciting news. We are doing a little giveaway of sorts. If you go and give us a review on iTunes, then screenshot the review and email it to us at singlebestscene at gmail.com, we will send you a very special single best scene sticker so get those reviews in and we will get you a sticker and that's it thanks um okay and we're back um are you ready for highlight stats maddie i am would you like me to go first this time yeah why don't you go first okay my favorite character was Nadia. My favorite relationship was Nadia and Alan, but I also really enjoyed Nadia and Ruth. Um, obviously, there's only been one season. And my favorite episode was episode eight. And I actually pulled a little excerpt from it, from episode okay. eight. Um, so I'm going to read that really quick. The show ends on a wild note, with both Nadia and Alan's, both of the Nadias and Alan's joining a parade hosted by none other than the horse, the homeless man. Turns out horse is also a puppeteer with a horse head, hence the name. Did the two timelines morph together, or they continue on parallel to one another? The ending suggests the two timelines keep going with two happy Nadias and two happy Alan's. Of course, given the loops, there are many, many more unhappy Alan's and Nadias. All that matters, though, is that the most important timeline, they're surviving and thriving. 
I had to read that and figure it out because when the show ended, I was like, did they just morph into the same person? I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it was so beautiful, but I was like, did I, I didn't miss anything, but what's going on? I just thought that episode had all yeah, of the elements crazy. that I wanted. So, um, and I thought that little Refinery29 excerpt kind of encapsulated the questions I had that I wasn't smart enough to know I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about you? What are your highlight stats? Um, my favorite character was Ruth, the godmother. Um, but I also love Maxine and Ferran. And my favorite relationship was Maxine and Nadia's. And my favorite episode was six. I loved, um, Nadia having to follow Alan to like help him figure (laughs) out what was going on. Like that was so fun to me. Um, and I actually also have an excerpt from a Vulture article, (laughs) um, but it was two, like, really smart points, because I also was, like, even re-watching the finale, I was, like, what What happened? (laughs) Well, I was extra confused this time, because they got a season two that I'm, like, okay, I obviously missed something the first time around that, like, there's magically going to be more to this, Mm -hmm. um, so I was rereading and stuff, but, um, so in one of the excerpts, it sort of talks about the Russian doll name tie-in. Um, and it sort of points to uh, Ruth and Nadia, uh, Ruth and Nadia conversation where it sort of, they get to the bottom of Nadia, like clinging, having buried onto this child version of herself that was, you know, her last like little preserved memory uh, in Amber of when her mom was still alive. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then Ruth saying before Nadia dies for the final time, she's still inside you. She being the little girl. And so not only are like the loops could be sort of a Russian doll of like this, her like life view, whatever the show's life view of your, these loops that she's in are in in themselves nesting. But Nadia specifically, like we as people are all Russian dolls of our past selves. And it's sort of just learning to live with all of them at once. um, Sort of like about accepting all versions of yourself in a way, which I thought was very sweet. And then just fun fact about the last (laughs) episode, the title of the episode is Arendine. I didn't say it because I didn't know how to say it, but that sounds right. It's Greek. I don't know. But in the Greek, it's a Greek. A story of a Greek myth is the story of Arendine. I don't know. She, it's the story where she stands over an impossible labyrinth with a monster inside and she saves the man she loves by giving him a sword to fight the monster in a ball of string so that he can find his way out of the maze after he kills the monster so he doesn't get end up trapped down in this maze. So in that episode, Nadia and Alan's like final tasks are in a way yarn ball stringing themselves so that they can help being the string to help get the other one out of the maze. Um, their own mazes of their lives because I thought that was very clever. Again, the show is so smart that smarter than me. <laughs> I know. We didn't even talk about one, just the important character that Ferran was in connecting Alan and Nadia, like being their human yep. connector. And mm-hmm. then two, um, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was like, there's like, like three- they're like organic connection. Yeah. Mike being at the party and Alan finally getting to hear the other side of the phone phone conversation that he's heard from his girlfriend's point of view, which was so fascinating. And then the third is Nadia seeing the younger version of herself and her being like, we're free now. And like pulling the glass Mm -hmm. from the mirror and the mirrors being gone and all that relevance. Like, yeah, like the show is just like pick a needle out of a haystack for a a meaningful moment. True. Yeah. Everything is so important. Every scene has like 15. I know. That's why I felt like picking my single best scene was pretty hard um, and random. What did you pick for yours? The the moment everybody's been waiting for. Mm -mm -mm. The one I ended up picking, although there were, Quite, like you could have done one per episode, um, mm-hmm. but I decided that Nadia telling Alan the bedtime story at the very end in eight, um, which was also sort of like a summary of the show a bit, um, 
that and also just her being there like really for some reason I felt like Nadia was doing a better job of trying to keep him alive than Alan was um in his timeline of trying to save Nadia I mean obviously like they had different means that doesn't mean that whatever but Nadia was like seemed just more desperate to me to keep Alan alive we'd also Um, seen more growth from Nadia from the first loop to now Whereas Alan was never as unhinged. So like he was frustrated because it couldn't make sense. But I completely agree. I felt like, also he just had to stop her from getting hit by a car. She had to stop him from committing suicide, which could happen at any time. Totally. So I completely, (laughs) like I completely Um. uh, agree with your assessment that his task like felt a little bit less urgent. Yes, no, I agree. Um, But... Anyway, yeah, so that was my that was my single best scene there at the end. And of course, like if you wanted to also include the rooftop scene aforementioned, um, mm-hmm. you could as well. But honestly, that scene where there he's she's putting him to bed, quote unquote, um, was my pick. What is your single best scene? Mine is so random. And whenever I was watching it, I just thought, oh shit, this is my single best scene, and it's not gonna make any sense to anybody. So mm-hmm. mine is from season one, episode, or obviously episode five, the superior superiority complex um so this is when after like four or five attempts nadia finally makes it to breakfast with john and his daughter mm-hmm. and she comes outside to meet her and she like looks at lillian or lily and that's when she gets flipped off and she's like i love her and then the scene that follows was so well acted but it's basically nadia being like i can't go inside because i don't want her to see me die i don't want all of this stuff to happen to her. I'm not mm-hmm. rejecting her. I'm protecting her. Like I can't hurt mm-hmm. y'all and him begging mm-hmm. her being like, just please come inside. Please come inside. Just say hi. Like you don't even have to stay. And like him not understanding. I feel like that was the first time for me that it really set in that like, even though it would reset and he wouldn't remember that interaction, she couldn't let go the like desperation and, like, yeah. she, I think, like, her exterior kind of softened a little bit in that exchange. So, very mm. random scene. I just, I also just, like, really liked John. Yeah, he <laughs> was so sweetie. He loved her. And, like, yes, it's terrible and sad that he blew up his life for her. But um, you could see that, like, in another world, like, the best version of Nadia and the best version of John could work out. And I just mm. thought that her realizing she didn't want to hurt him and his daughter Mm -hmm. was a character growth for her and just really beautiful. Um, And then I do have a little bit of a runner up just because I I would be remiss not to talk about the fact, the side-by-side walking scene where they're in the parade and you see the two Nadia's and the two Mm -hmm. Allen's walking Mm -hmm. together. I thought it was like beautifully shot. It was like a euphoria finale Mm -hmm. level vibe. Yes. Being like there's a shit ton going on in the street and I don't know what's real. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) It was a lot like Euphoria. It gave me the same, the same vibes. So I'm sure we've obviously missed a bunch of stuff. Feel free to let us know in our DMs and we can um, keep chatting about uh, Russian Doll because like a Russian Doll, there's just a lot. There's a lot of it. Lots to unpack. A lot to unpack. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, it has currently been re- renewed. It was um, supposed to start filming in late September, October. I don't have any confirmation if it was able to. I don't think it was if I had to guess, but I'm not sure. So because of that, they predicted that it would be on Netflix in early 2021. As of today, we have no news to that effect. But mm-hmm. if anything changes, we will let y'all know. If this episode comes out before season two, we'll obviously keep you updated on all the breaking news of Russian Doll. And if not, then we probably already have. So, Soph, did you have a recommendation for our listeners this week? Yes. My recommendation of the week is a book called Big Max and Burgundy by Vanessa Price and Adam Lukov. Sorry, Adam, if I mispronounced your name. Um, but yeah, it, I got this book for Christmas because I asked for it. <laughs> um, I was so excited though to get it and it has exceeded my expectations. It is basically like a contemporary wine pairing book. They do go in and explain, you know, some basics about wine so that you do have a better understanding, but 
I think it just does a really great job of expanding your wide knowledge without being overwhelming or condescending condescending because it's more practical I actually can already tell that I'm learning more which is nice the two writers are based in New York so some of it is like New York specific but it is not in any way marketed as like a New York specific book but like there is a sweet green and wine pairing which like like there's no sweet greens in Dallas that <laughs> maybe in your town uh, or whatever but there, and there's also like um cat Stella Catessa and like they they call out a couple of New York places but a lot of it is like really transferable like obviously like any pastrami sandwich would be fine it doesn't have to be the cat's one um mm-hmm. but even like I had to, did the sweet green and the white and the the specific wine that they suggest which of course it's their one dollar time ones are normally still even still like sixteen dollars, <laughs> but I like went ahead and tried it, and I was like, okay, this is really good. This combination, like she was right, but I do feel like a like any dry white, like I could just do like you know you know a soft blanc or something with this, and it would be like a four dollar one, and it would be like just as good. But because it was like because it's you know a sweet sweet green is what I get a lot anyway, so it's like I could actually practice the you know what I mean like it's not like oh yeah this wine matches really well with this random rare cheese that you're never gonna get ever again so um yeah I think it's really great there's a whole chapter on Trader Joe's like it's just well you did a a wine and like a cheese and a wine and cheese pairing from Trader Joe's over the summer that was really fun and I think what that book also could be beneficial is your friends are getting sweet green. I'm going to pick up the wine. Like you can also kind of yes, like show off exactly. in like exactly you know, like, small yeah. settings being like, I'm going to get these things. And I know that it pairs well with this wine. If there is a Trader Joe's wine, like for little friend happy hours when the world kind of pick, gets back to normal. Exactly. 100%. Like, but okay. What, what is your recommendation? My recommendation this week is a documentary. What I realized in 2020 is that I really like them, especially when they're only like an hour and a half. Um, but I did just watch the new um, Bee Gees documentary, which kind of categorized the like the th- 30 years that the Bee Gees were at their kind of height in popularity. And it was really interesting because they like started out as like a knockoff Beatles band and then they moved into like an actual Beatles band and then they did the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever and then they were known as a disco band and then everybody hated disco. Like the way that their career went on and was able to, to withstand and kind of the behind the scenes stuff. Cause it's three brothers. I didn't know that mm-hmm. much about the Bee Gees. Like I knew staying alive and you know, whatever. But uh, um, if you are interested in like that era of music from like 59, I would say to like 81, which the covers like a lot of different genres that they were in That's a lot of time. <laughs> like, I think at one point they were like collaborating with Barbra Streisand. I'm like, how is this? Oh, God. Like it is like a, a, like a pretty fascinating trajectory of a career, but yeah, I definitely would recommend that if you've been interested in the beaches or just like uh, music doc- documentaries and it's pretty short. I think it's on HBO max. We have Hulu through HBO. So I always get confused where things live, yeah. but I'm pretty sure it's on HBO. But yeah, that's, that's my nice. recommendation. Okay, well, perfect. Well, um, thank you, everybody. This is this is our first episode of season two, correct? Yes. Thanks for tuning back in, guys. So glad to have you here on yeah. our TV's journey, and we will see you guys next week. Yep, we will be there. Will you? <laughs> you better. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye. Bye.